And welcome to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast. Uh, we come to you tonight uh, talking about some very, very interesting events that are happening recently in the opposition politics of South Africa. Uh, I'm here joined live from France by Hugo Krieger. Um, How do you, did I say your name right? Yeah, yeah, you got it right. Krieger is, uh, is fine, but uh, everyone would say Krieger, so. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but anyway, uh, listen, uh, we both just wrote articles recently for the Rational Standard. Um, so, so uh, you know, it'd be interesting just to chat. And uh, what are your thoughts about precisely what has gone on in the DA? So we've had a few things happen now. Musi has resigned. Musi Maimane has resigned. He's now, as of very recently, also resigned from Parliament and of the DA. So he's actually no longer a member of the DA. Um, as well as Ethel Trollope and a couple of other people who are quite high up in the ranks. And then to top it all, I think it's quite hilarious. Of all people, Helen Ziller is now the interim leader. It almost sounds like something out of Roger Stone's playbook. So yeah, <laughs> what are your thoughts like on this? It sounds like an African democracy to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old leader comes back with a vengeance. Um, look, uh, I mean, if my opinion's as good as anyone else's, but... Um, I don't really know what to make of all of it. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. I was never impressed by Musi Maimani. Um, one reason being, I'm very skeptical of religious leaders in politics. And he always had this veneer about him, about being a, you know, too religious. I mean, he was supporting a death penalty at one stage, I believe. And, uh, you know, he just something did not sit well about him. Uh, you know, I guess it's being a pastor. I'm not a very religious person. I've always, you know, hated religious. Um, Ethel Trollope uh, seemed to be a decent guy, I don't know too much about him. Harry Mashaba, I am utterly disappointed in him since the beginning. I thought he was going to be my DA guy. I'm not, you know, he was the one guy who I thought was libertarian enough, who was a free market foundation guy. Goes into politics, goes well for a year or so, and then all of a sudden he becomes xenophobe a raging, uh, you know, an insensitive racist. I mean, come on, this is a guy that built himself up and he's insensitive to criticism and goes to racism for every second comment. So it's just been a disappointment. I, I don't know what's going to happen to the DA. Um, it's it's funny that Ellen Zilla is there. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think during the course of this week, we'll find out who's going to replace them and whether or not they're going to be an actual opposition. Um, we might see them crash, or maybe they'll come back with a bang if they get the orientation and the ideology right. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. And it's interesting what you said about Herman Mashaba, because I think he was probably the greatest disappointment that any South African libertarian has ever had. This guy came in, the, the capitalist crusader. That was the name of his book. He was coming from the Free Market Foundation. And I mean, there were articles in American libertarian uh, websites saying, oh, look at this, a major African city has got a libertarian mayor for the first time. Uh, it was incredible. And then he came and just, I don't know what the hell happened. Like he just lost his mind or something. <laughs> um, well, but um, apparently well, my suspicion is he had to keep the coalition going. Um, the politics in Johannesburg is far more complex than the politics in Cape Town. This is one lesson for the DA. Um, the reason being, I always say whoever controls Johannesburg controls South Africa because the economy is there, everything is there. And throughout the history of South Africa, no political party, going back to the Nationalists and even the United Party before, really had a total control over Johannesburg. And I suspect it's got to do because the money is there. So controlling the opposition, the coalition was important. But to do is he had to compromise with the EFF. Now, I don't have a problem if you compromise with the EFF. I have a problem if you become the EFF by compromise, you know. And I feel that's what he did. He became, he was implementing EFF policy as opposed to his own party's policy. But that itself does not, you know, answer to me as to why he left. You know, the party could have reprimanded him. They could have taken a stance in, in, the, in the Congress and said, listen, you don't do this. 
policy or we disagree or we might we might compromise for the sake of the coalition i think most reasonable people will be okay with that but it just ended up in a racial argument that got haywired and i think we haven't we haven't gotten the whole story yet well you must remember that this report that came out from the da has i think influenced a lot of events recently um let me ask you really have you had a chance to have a look at the report written by ryan kutzia and tony leon and i think there was one other guy about what went wrong with the DA? It's on politics. Yeah. Web. So I read a newspaper article on the report, and I, from what they say there, if I understand it correctly, it says the DA um, lost significant support in Afrikaans communities who went over to the Freedom Front. I'm one of them they lost, by the way, because I just didn't vote. Um, the other thing is apparently the DA's ideology wasn't clear to even their ground school members. So when they had questions over BE and race and things like that, the voters were hearing two voices, which I think was true. And, you know, inconsistent ideology combined with this thing, I think is why it collapsed. Um, yeah. The media is running off making it a racist argument, which I think is complete nonsense. Well, um, they loved ended it. up being a racist argument at the end of it, you know. Yeah, they profit off that. That's the problem. I mean, I don't know if you got to see the, the short interview after the DA press conference with the one ENCA reporter, I've forgotten his name, and Herman Pretorius. Um, it was really embarrassing. Like he was trying to do this neutral interview. Yeah. Yeah, and- can I just say this? Herman Pretorius, I know, um, he was in the same primary school as me and he sat behind me writing exams. Okay? Yes. But I never, with no friends of him. Well, never- watch out what you say I'm about. To, I'm probably going to interview him soon after this, but go on. Okay, let's say to him, like, if he ever remembers the guy in grade, I think we were grade six or seven. Yeah, I think I was grade seven. I was one years older than him. He was grade six. I sit there, I sat behind him by the exam. We stayed in the same street, okay? Yeah. But afterwards, we were never friends. We never talked. Um, I sort of know his brother a little bit, but, you know, we, we separated. He went to a different high school than I did. And now he comes back, and I'm like, yo, like, you know, there's two people that came from large school, Skokrans, and I think both of us, of course, in trouble, but I must give it to him. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think any letter has been as effective in the history of the country. Like, you know, Afrikaans had good cock on Yeah, and <laughs> No, man, exactly. It, it, it was very interesting. And he, he wrote this one little article. And usually articles like that just sort of float by. And only like the really pe- the people who are really, really interested kind of read them. But the, yes, man, they really got touched on their studio by that. Like, it was quite insane to see the reaction that happened from this one little article. And all of a sudden well, now, he's a household name. I, I take the view that, he, you know, if you speak truth to power, this is when people get angry. I, I always believe that people get angry from argument if you expose their underlying doubts. And this to me is one of the best examples. This is why the ANC gets angry when we criticize BE. Because they kind things. of know it already, but nobody's actually speaking it. Yeah, it's, it's the truth is behind the, below the surface. And everyone says it, but we're all keeping quiet. You know, it's, it's this, um, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Stephen Kotkin on Joseph Stalin. He was asked why, he's a world expert on Stalin. He was asked, why did Stalin get away? And, and it comes down to the fact that nobody in Stalin's cabinet could agree with Stalin. But everyone was just scared to say the damn thing. So, you know, it's like truth gets suppressed. And we eventually come to this point where everyone disagrees, but I think everyone around me agrees with him. And I, I think this is the situation we ended up in, and where you know, I remember Pretorius there. He just he just had his finger on the right button. You know, um, this inconsistency in the party, and I think the fact that he just mentioned white man, maybe that was a bit excessive with Alan Wendy. But um, you know, I was laughing all the way. I thought, well done. You know, you got it right. Yeah, well, I think you know, it was sort of meant as a bit of a joke. He wasn't. He wasn't. Obviously, he was not saying we have to get this guy because he is white. He's just saying 
the guy that we have chosen is a white man and in the sort of the, the atmosphere of our politics these days it's like a bit of a funny thing to say i guess but uh, yeah. i think what's quite interesting is just like what you've said there was a bit of a, a silence on the elephant in the room in the da and that was that musi's leadership had not been the greatest for the party certainly in 2016 there was huge progress which is quite interesting i think the da's should really ask themselves why prior to 2016 they did so well i think the zuma administration really helped them you know zuma was a, a horribly unpopular president in this country and i think people really had to bite their tongues to continue voting anc and they voted ANC not necessarily because they supported Zuma, but because they were loyal ANC supporters. Um, so I think I, I, I don't buy that argument that loyal ANC supporters went over to the DA just because of Zuma. I think they would much rather have stayed away if they didn't agree with the DA. Because well, of that that may have happened, but the, what I, but the point is that in terms of percentage of vote, I'm not sure of the raw number of voters, but in terms of percentage, the DA did the best they've ever done. I think in that 2016 yeah. local government elections. So um, where I thought the DA had the best elections was the local government election, not 2016. I believe it was the one before that, 2012 or 2018. The first one I could vote was 2008, where Helen Zeller just ran the campaign on saying the DA delivers for all. Very simple message, makes sense, and we have a good administration in Cape Town. It was running on those lines. It was the year she won Mayor of the Year Award. That was the, the best campaign, in my view, from the DA. Nobody could disagree with the facts. Um, the 2016 one was a play a bit on the stop Zuma type of thing. Maybe that's why they got a bit of votes because of Zuma. I suspect they had a good ideology at the time. But you could see that there were cracks. And the one crack that was showing was that the Freedom Front actually did gain a little bit even in that election. Uh, people suspect that a lot of Afrikaans people walk away from uh, the Freedom Front because, uh, or from the DA because, um, you know, Musi was black. But I suspect there's another reason, and that is language. That is that at that time was the time when the Afrikaans universities were under enormous pressure to quote unquote transform, reason being campus demographics changed in the, against their favor. And Tony Leon, to his credit, he criticized this policy at the time. He said, but why can't we have Afrikaans at universities? Um, the DA Anazilla, she did not really speak to that question. Um, and if you know anything about the history of Afrikaner nationalism, you would know that language is like the one thing which is uh, sort of a holy ground to some people. Um, I suspect that's why they lost some of their protests as well. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I don't think anybody's really quite considered the significance of the language in all of this. You know, the unfortunate thing with Afrikaners in South Africa is that because they are a small minority in the broader scheme of things, they tend to kind of do things on their own. When they have a problem, uh, a group like Afriforum gets invented and Afriforum will start its own university. It will lobby the government in certain circumstances, particularly when it has legal reasons to do so, uh, you know, and it'll do so through litigation. But they're more likely to just kind of do do their own thing and i think yeah you're exactly right the da you know the funny thing is that in terms of the da's actual policy there's quite a few members who have been on their side um but it's just not something that can be really shouted from the rooftops because yeah. the, the musi has had this view that you know this was quite poignant at the press conference he talked about the da having to be a, a become a party that could govern the country and I think this is why he, the DA has like sort of slowly, slowly moved to the left, if not in policy necessarily, in image. And this is why people like us, you know, have now this kind of view of the DA that we don't really know what they stand for because they seem to say one thing and do another. Um, and, you know, this is the problem is that if you want to become the government, the, the party of government in South Africa, the current party of government is the ANC. 
But there's no point in becoming the part of party of government if you're just going to be a second ANC. So I think this is perhaps part of the reason why they did so badly. But but anyway, mm. uh, let, let's let's quickly talk about, you know, you mentioned the sort of odd silence. Herman spoke truth to power, and that's why so many people got upset. Muzima Mane commissioned this report, and the report came out and basically suggested that you know, the report said some very interesting things that laid out very concisely all the problems that the DA has been having and, and why it may have uh, gone down in the last election. And one of the things I think it suggested was new leadership. And I think maybe this was a little bit too much to handle for Muzima Mane. But if you look at the politics of the world, when somebody does bad, they tend to resign from a party. Ed Miliband, when, the Labour, when Labour lost in... 2015 i think um he resigned um hillary clinton we haven't heard from her much we didn't hear from her basically from a whole year or a whole two years after she lost the election and this is yeah but but this is the natural life cycle of politicians you mess up we say you tried we respect you now do the honorable thing and let other people take over because clearly you've made some mistakes and we need to correct our path here and and to talk on that i mean i've not gotten into french politics since i've been here Yes. Um, the last election, Emmanuel Macron was running against Marine Le Pen and François Fillon. Marine Le Pen is a bit of a crazy woman, but uh, François Fillon, I don't think anyone has heard of him again. And he was a very top conservative Frenchman, um, probably more conservative than Margaret Thatcher. Um, these things, yeah, as you say, like there is a rotational cycle. But in South Africa, whenever something happens in this country, uh, in, in the country, it's um, always the question of race. And this thing i believe it is one thing that i would wish the media would stop doing is pandering to this racial argument every time something happens because it's not doing anyone in the country a service you know i know it sells newspapers probably because there's definitely a market for that but um you know musi maimani just judged on a basic rational merit failed and i'm sorry if you fail you go tough luck bell you know nobody someone else steps up and takes your shoes yeah i mean that's exactly what i said i I wrote in my article, why is it so difficult for him to step down? And then he stepped down a couple of days after it got published. So I suppose I've eaten my words after that. Um, but this is the whole thing is that he, he failed, unfortunately, in the last election. Um, and, you know, I, no disrespect to him. I think he's, a, you know, a very respectable guy in many means. I may not agree with him on anything, but I think he wants the best for the country. But I think his strategy in doing that was incorrect and it's the natural life cycle for him to to move aside and allow for other people to continue yeah, i mean i think it's time to take your stuff and leave and, and go out humbly you know say guys i tried my stuff it doesn't work i wish the next guy good luck yeah. i hope he doesn't try a new political party i suspect however that herman mashaba is a very very um, ambitious politician Yes, it's going to be back. So, but I mean, let's quickly entertain that theory because I have to say, you know, on our uh, little chat group at Rational Standard, a lot of the guys have been have been really, really excited for the creation of the South African Social Democratic Party after (laughs) after this latest movement because it might sort of cleanse the more leftist uh, members of the DA out, and so we could have a a rather more liberal DA after that. What do you think about that? I I got to say, I I wouldn't mind that because I think they'd just be like, good, they'd get almost no votes well, and become yeah, irrelevant. Seeing what I saw when Akhan got started, you know, Akhan was essentially, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like an ANC light, if you will, political party. Yeah. It is incredibly difficult to run a new party because the first people you attract are all the crooks and the washouts from other political parties. You don't <laughs> have the structures. You yeah. don't have the organizational skills. You have ANC members, which was suspected at the time, infiltrating a new party so it can collapse, okay? 
there's a lot of dissent, there's a lot of negativity, you need money. Okay, so um, yeah, it sounds good in principle, um, <laughs> but good luck, good luck pulling it off. So let's quickly talk about the DA is going to have to have a new leader soon. Um, you know, I've got some thoughts about this. Let me ask you, who would you like to see the next leader of the DA? Or have you, do you have any preference at all about this? I've got absolutely no preference. I, I don't know the DA leaders that well, to be honest. I would say um, the mayor of Pretoria, it's Holly Masimonga. I don't think he's made anymore. When I was still staying in Pretoria, he did a very good job. I think he's running, he's running um, for Gauteng running, Premier, I think. I, think he, I believe he's running in Gauteng, but he failed to win Gauteng, so maybe that's a bad reflection on him. Um, I believe uh, Wilmot, was it Wilmot James? Wilmot James, yeah. He's even back. I, yeah, um, I'm not sure what he's doing these days. Sorry? I'm not sure what he's doing these days. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what he's doing, but he, when he ran as the DA leader against Musi Maimani, I think it was against Musi Maimani at the time, he said one important thing, which I think people missed, and that is that the DA needs an alternative to the National Development Plan. And I was nodding my head when he said that. I believe the National Development Plan is a complete, it's complete rubbish if you read that thing and i believe that you know a political party needs to have its own plan i mean this is the other problem with musi maimani he was adopting anc um, legislation and then pretending to be different than the anc and then pretending that his voters are you know not clever enough to figure this out yeah no i mean that was the the issue and then i think that was part of the reason why some people were not really sure what the DA kind of stood for anymore. I remember, you know, I've interviewed quite a few members of the DA on this podcast. On this podcast so far, I've had Zach Mbele, MP. I've had Michael Cardo and John Steenhazen. And these are all people which are actually quite libertarian. When you talk to them, and I, I put forward these sort of libertarian, classical liberal kind of ideas, they generally nod their heads and go, yeah, 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 no, I, I generally agree with that. And and they're very reasonable people. And then I go out of the interview and I think, but oh my goodness, what's what happens when we see the other side in the media? And like, why am I, why am I seeing these two sides well, of things? There's two things. I think um, the DA leaders, I mean, I, I, I might also just be telling you what you want to hear, you know, but um, That's I true. suspect that they might, have those convictions okay but they realize that within the da it's a compromise party this is why libertarian i don't believe libertarianism in the absolute can ever be a political party because then we'll all agree on the thing you have to compromise as a political party and i suspected that they were compromising with some social democratic people in the da which i don't have a problem with i mean it's fine with the da to have a few social policies although i disagree with the policies i understand the nature of politics but to what extent do you compromise? That is the question I think that a lot of voters were asking for the DA. And for me, the line too far was one adopting the NDP, and the second line too far was uh, adopting, um, you know, the race base, essentially the affirmative action in a lighter sense. Sorry, I, I don't vote for that. And if there's no alternative to that in the country, I just stay home on election day. I stay in France. I, I honestly, this, this is the point I made in my in my article as well. Politics is not everything in life. Politics is, is the thing which we vote every few years, and I don't want it to be everything in life. I don't want to watch the rugby and then hear about politics. I don't want to you know, go out with my girlfriend in a restaurant. She's Iranian, by the way. And now we talk about the global political the nuclear situation in Iran. You drill. You, know, you, you want to enjoy your life in the meanwhile. And I just want to tell these people, stop with this, get a coherent policy, focus on your administration, and that's all I want. Don't get in my face. Because when you get in my face, I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah i i fully agree with you i think having to constantly worry about politics it's kind of become a thing that we've had to do nowadays but it's not something that anyone really wants to do um i was actually quite fascinated i visited urania 
That was a very, very interesting experience. I, I was there too in 2011, by the way. 2011. I wonder how it's changed. I was there just uh, not, not so long ago. I don't, don't think a place like Orania changes a lot. They get a few more houses, perhaps. In a, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, but, 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 but in any case, the, the, the most fascinating thing in the, the time I realized why a community like that exists was I said to the guy, I was asking him like what the sort of national views of Urania residents were. And, and he kind of said to me, you know, to be perfectly honest, people come here because they don't want to get involved in politics. And it just sort of came to realize it was like a, a place where you could be safe and not have to worry about all these issues because you kind of dealt with them yourselves. And and that really is the thing. Nobody wants to worry about politics, but it has kind of become a thing. In South Africa and in France and in America, there's not a lot of consequences of, of, of not caring about politics, okay? I just, um, I mean, the, the thing is, there's a, there's a point we was made by a Reason magazine, um, editor Nick Gillespie. Yes. I quite follow the guy's stuff a lot. And he, he always made the point that given the Industrial Revolution, given all this increase in abundance and human prosperity, which we've had in the last 100, 200 years, most people's lives were structured now in such a way that we are no longer dependent on the king to give us you know, food. We're no longer dependent on the politicians. And this, you know, to me, is, is it's a sense of a growing anarchy, if you will, in our everyday lives. How many times do you actually interact with political structures around you? When I apply for my driver's license, I get frustrated. For me, it's going to the embassy to vote, which I didn't even go. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not a big factor in my lifetime. Um, maybe, you know, water and sanitation because I work as an engineer, you know, there's a few aspects which are still involved with politics, but I feel that most people would like to structure their lives to not be affected by politics. And I believe um, there's, there's one South African, um, you know, intellectual that I've used to follow, which is Professor Chris Malone at the University of Pretoria. And he wrote a very good book, it was only written in Afrikaans, called Politocracy. And essentially he said what is needed in the modern South Africa is this mental shift away from the political structures to a community-based structure, to culture, if you will. So as opposed to we replace what we expect from politicians with culture. And I suspect that a lot of the people in AfriForum were influenced by his ideas, where he said that the challenge for the Afrikaner at the time, he spoke from a nationalist point of view, was to you know find self-determination in South Africa without moving out of the country, without moving to Iranian. But we do it in a way to develop our own social structures. This is why I'm very excited about what AfriForums were there is pulling off. You know, I don't always agree with what they do, but I'm very excited that the developments which are happening, you know, it's in a sense, it's parallel structures to government. And I suspect that the South African government really knows that they are powerless to stop this because ultimately, you know, um, power is conceded by the minds of people. And the moment I stop believing that in the necessity of government to run my life and I see the alternative, why would I want to go back? Yeah, and that's precisely the reason why I'm also such a big fan of Afri Forum. It's because they build and they actually do things. And what's quite interesting is that when you compare an organization like Afri Forum to an organization like the DA, the one creates something and the other one gets paid and is profitable but does not create anything. Um, and this is why I think Afri Forum is such a wonderful organization is that they are a, a minority-focused uh, NGO which creates good in the country of South Africa, while at the same time not asking the government for things. And I think that's brilliant. And I wish there were 50 Afri Forums. If another organization like that comes up, I would also support them wholeheartedly. And I don't know why there aren't more. I, 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 I suspect that it is happening on different levels in the country. 
I suspect Maybe KwaZulu-Natal. stay in Petersburg in the north, or Polokwane, I have to be politically correct to pronounce <laughs> it these days, in the north of the country. And there are black communities in the area. My father works at one of these schools, and so does uh, my brother, who are organizing their own schools as community schools, who are cleaning their streets with the limited means which they've got, by the way. It's, it's much less than many whites, that has to be said. And I suspect that the Afri-Forum-type structures are occurring more often than not in South Africa. I mean, look at um, how these gated communities came about. I mean, that makes me excited. Well, that's from crime, midstream between Johannesburg and Pretoria. It's a town which is private. You know, these things are happening way more often than not. And, uh, you know, if I go back to Franz Cronier's, you know, four scenarios of South Africa, he made one scenario, which was essentially a libertarian scenario, you know, where he said that private companies are taking the role of government to the point that government is becoming irrelevant without the government realizing it itself. I do remember him, I think. That was actually a very interesting scenario, and I think we've we've gone into, or we're at least on the part of that realm. One thing that excites me a lot is is the politics of KwaZulu-Natal, which I pe- think people neglect a lot. We must remember that there's a very big population in KwaZulu-Natal, which means that there's a lot of votes. And if the IFP mm. sees a resurgence there, I think one of the big you know, reasons why perhaps expropriation without compensation hasn't happened yet, or they've kind of gone slow on it, is that if it's going to evolve dissolving the Ingonyama Trust, this is going to piss off a lot of very traditional, very proud Zulus living in northern KwaZulu-Natal. And I think... Well, the Ingonyama Trust is the only expropriation that I would agree with, to be honest, because it's controlled by one king, you know. It's creating a feudal system. Ah, my personal view is if they want to live under the king, that's their prerogative. I would not not bother them. I don't know... Yeah, but I don't think they ever had a say in the matter. I mean, um, you don't think so they can my, leave? My folks stayed in Mafeking for a while, which was yeah. the old homeland systems. And, you know, if you go to these places today, you really do still see the structure that was caused by that policy, which ironically was a state centralized system. It was, the, you know, the policy of direct control where the government at the time, first the British government, then the Afrikaans government, essentially bribed the chiefs, or they played one off against the other one to control the area. And the Ingoyama Trust is just the most famous version of this, but there are other versions in the country which are controlled by feudal lords who do very little. I mean, the Royal Bafu King is probably the most successful ones in Rustenburg, who controls the stadium. And, and also there's once again an example of a society which has said, we are going to do our own thing. Um, they give scholarships, for example, for their own people because of the profits of the platinum mine. The king of the Royal Bafu King said we wanted to diversify our portfolio, not be not only be dependent on mining. I'm not sure how they have achieved that. Um, but once again, you know, it is what we have spoken about. I think South Africa is an enormously complicated society. And in a sense, it's a society which should not be existing. Um, you know, the country was united and the borders of Africa was drawn by maps in Belgium at the time through tribes, through countries that make very little sense, you know, from a historical point of view. Um, and I just suspect that you're going to see more, more and more decentralized hierarchies in the country. Yeah. Um, and I, I, ho- I hope it goes that way, you know. Me, me too. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. Uh, it's funny, I've actually been talking recently about this exact sort of, not secession, but like more, um, what is it called now? Giving power to uh, lower levels of, of government and uh, NGOs and things like this. But I think we are sort of going more towards that point. And it'll be, uh, some people are very upset by that, but... I don't see it as a negative so, thing. Um, I believe if you want to have an interview, you should invite Professor Quisman on, on this. He made another point about our constitution not too long ago, where he said there's about three ways the constitution is interpreted. The first one is the vision of the elite. So Mugheng Mugheng says basically, um, 
you know, ANC policy, you know, that's going through the constitution, the language policy at university is the best example of this. Yeah, that's but then right. There's another one, which is sort of interpretation, you and I have a dispute, and we look at what the constitution say, and we weigh up the balances and averages. And you see, there's a third one, which is often neglected, and that is practicality. So for example, if a community starts organizing themselves and builds these town walls and structures like this, very often the courts, the judges have said, but guys, this, these structures exist, we can't tell these people to leave. And this is the, I wish that the legal, you know, the, the way our law would evolve, where the law follows the people as opposed to the people follow the law. And so my point to all these communities is start organizing yourself. Start, you know, playing on the gray areas of the law. You know, do it legally, but get away with it. And before you know it, you've got a well-organized system, um, well-decentralized from the central government. And before the government wakes up, you've achieved way more objectives. And essentially, they cannot, you know, get rid of you. They cannot enforce their policy. Yeah, sounds interesting. We should maybe, I should maybe get in contact with him. But uh, thanks very much for coming on to the Rational Standard Podcast. I'm interested if uh, we want to reach you on social media. If you're interested in giving out those details, where do we find you? Well, you just find me writing for Rational Standards, and then I'm on Facebook. Perfect. That's that. Me, you, know? you know what? That's great. Let's use this opportunity to to tell people to go read more Rational Standard articles. I think that's a great one. Yeah, they should definitely do that. It's it's one of the best upcoming uh, you know newspapers in the country. I read it first thing in the morning. And then I read uh, Marula Media, which is the Afrikaans. Yes, to that's right. My language is up to date. And then I read French. So, uh, you know, I've got three languages in my head in the morning. That's lovely. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for listening to the Rational Standard Podcast. If you want to uh, subscribe, you can subscribe to us on, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can uh, give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Rational Stand. And we'll see you on the next episode. Okay.